Welcome to the space where border walkers dwell. A space for people who are moving in between the divisions of culture, politics, and religion. We're building bridges, making peace in an age of culture wars and identity politics. We're seeking common ground in the search for truth, beauty, and goodness in our world today. Our conversation with Makoto Fujimori took place on January 8th, two days after the insurrection happened on Capitol Hill and shocked the world. The format was a Zoom call. We invited friends and colleagues to join us in the conversation with Makoto. As a result, we created a wonderful atmosphere where we not only heard one another, but we saw one another, including people comfortable painting and writing as the conversation ensued. So during the course of the conversation, you'll hear some references to people's artistry happening in the background as Makoto shares with us his thoughts on how we become border walkers moving beyond the culture wars to a common life. Inspired by an idea that Daniel read in a book written by our special guest, who he's going to introduce in a moment, uh, Makoto Fujimura. We decided on opening an interactive conversation, kind of a Zoom podcast hybrid, and we can already see how well it's going. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, we weren't sure at all how this format was going to work out. But quite honestly, we, we felt that the, the adventure was going to be worth it. We, we honestly didn't know how many people were going to uh, uh, show up and, and we're kind of relieved uh, that we didn't have 100 on our first try. That would have been really stressful. Um, but we knew we couldn't find the answers on our own. And, and that's, that's why we needed to do this. And the journey, at the very least, would feel a whole lot better alongside others. Uh, so here we are. If you have encountered a small part of his work, which, which uh, many of you already have, you would recognize that Makoto Fujimura has a tremendous amount to offer to the conversation about culture, not just through his unique artwork, uh, but through his writing, social leadership, about how to navigate and build bridges across our many tribal identities and social boundaries. And, and that's what we're looking to focus on in this conversation this afternoon. Specifically, how can you and I move beyond the culture wars of religion, politics, and be creative, generative, healing agents of conversations in the spaces we occupy? So I know that uh, Mako has a tremendous amount to say about this, and I'll turn to Daniel to introduce Mako more fully and how he has been impacted by Mako's work, and then uh, Mako will invite you to uh, share your initial thoughts on this question, uh, and mm -hmm. then we'll open it up for more conversation. It's just been absolutely rich just to uh, meet each of you and hear your own stories. Yeah. And, and we're going to see what the Spirit has to say, has to speak to, to us today through each other. So without any further ado, I'll turn it over to Daniel. Thank you, Lance. And Mako, what an honor to have you here. Thank you so much um, for being present. You are first and foremost, for those of you in the group who don't, 
don't know Mako's work, you are a leading contemporary artist and your beautiful paintings are behind you, but also in galleries and museums all over the world. You are an advocate for the arts, a presidential appointee at one point. You've collaborated with other artists such as Martin Scorsese on the movie Silence, and you have done work with academics through various universities. But for myself, who's followed your work for over a decade, it has been your writing which has influenced me most profoundly. A writing that I think you would say comes out of your work as an artist. Um, and your book, um, Culture Care, was the one that influenced me most profoundly. Uh, and in that book, you give us a framework for moving away from the mentality of culture war to culture care. And you introduce a concept which has maybe resonated with us a little bit, so much so that we may named a podcast after it called Border Walking. And that has given both Lance and myself a new sense of our own vocation of what it is to be in this fractured world. So Mako, please, could you introduce this concept of border walking to the many people here who might be unfamiliar with it? And maybe also share how you yourself grew into your own recognition as a border walker. Yeah, thank you all. Oh my goodness, this is such a honor to uh, be with you, um, you know, in the remote <laughs> world that we live in. Um, and and yet I, I, I think there's certain things that we're discovering that are significant um, as we move forward in this new normal, the uh, um, 2021 um, mm -hmm. begins. And um, I have been thinking a lot about the role of an artist um, in, in, in a fragmented society, polarized, uh, oftentimes uh, divisive, um, uh, culture wars, um, um, dominating culture wars, may, you, might, you might argue is the culture today. Um, and there's just simply no other way of framing culture without speaking about the polarization and the divisiveness. Um, but after the U.S., uh, you know, yesterday, two days ago, uh, indicates the culmination, I think, of so many years of fighting culture wars. I have always uh, uh, said that the the problem with culture wars is 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 it's not just rhetoric. It, it is it, it will cre create a reality. Um, yeah. It will lead to real wars. Um, and I was made aware of this when I uh, was lecturing in, uh, I think, Minnesota or somewhere um, the, the, um, along the way. And uh, this scholar from Pakistan came up to me after I spoke about cultural care. And um, she said that I'm so grateful for your work uh, because in my country, uh, this means life or death. Um, mm. And I, I had to, I was, you know, a little bit taken back by that. I never had a comment like that. So I, I thought about it and um, and it turned out to be true. Um, yesterday manifested itself quite clearly uh, in uh, two days ago in US Capitol. And we, we have to realize that not only our words matter, but how we see culture and how, how imagination is, is, is rendered or sanctified or demonized. Um, those things do lead to action um, and con they have consequences. Um, and so, you know, cultural wars 
was coined, um, a term coined by sociologist James Davison Hunter uh, in the, in the mid, mid 80s, uh, he started to write about this and wrote a book called Culture Wars, um, came out in, I believe, 90 or 91. And he is a good friend of mine. And he said, you know, I never, I never thought that that would become a word, <laughs> you know, like um, it would become a ubiquitous way of talking about culture. Uh, but he was identifying as a sociologist that this divide, the split in culture um, that uh, is intentionally set up for, for creating false dichotomies. And um, therefore you have, you know, the, the only way you can be uh, uh, legitimate in that conversation is to take one side and demonize the other side. Um, and if you keep doing that, there will not be not only a meaningful dialogue, but there, there will be a collapse of political um, dialogue as we know it, that people will not be able to uh, speak to each other. And that became true in early 2000s um, when I was appointed on the National Council on the Arts by President Bush, which is the highest place where a citizen can serve uh, to advocate for arts in US. Um, I worked with then chair of the National Endowment for the Arts, Dana Joya, who is an extraordinary poet, uh, Catholic poet and um, leader, a business leader. Um, in fact, um, US budget for the endowment was somewhere uh, around $140 million. Uh, which is actually minuscule compared to other countries, but you know uh, the the political um, culture was such that you know you argue over every penny, right? So um, he was asked as as a um, candidate to become the national endowment chair. Um, you know how how are you going to handle this big budget? Um, and he said to them, "Well, I was I was in marketing with General Foods." Uh, marketing Jetto, <laughs> Jetto uh, and and that budget 10 years ago was twice that amount <laughs> that US government gives to the entire advocacy of US arts. Uh, I think I know how to handle this budget. <laughs> um, and he opened the uh, Senate Sub-Appropriation Sub Committee. Uh, uh, the, the first uh, time he spoke as a chairman, uh, he quoted uh, Longfellow in its entirety. Uh, which is about five minutes uh, memorized, and of course, and um, the senator sat there in absolute um, stunned by um, his ability to invoke poetry in, in the highest uh, um, place of government, um, where I think culture wars is uh, is fought. Um, so thereby injecting what he was doing was very symbolic. He was saying that there's another way to have a conversation, uh, to even talk about the budget of the National Endowment. It has to start with the experience of poetry, experience of the arts. So he began to advocate for Shakespeare in American communities, uh, jazz masters program, which, will, which they very much neglected, uh, all these jazz masters. Uh, could not pay rent, um, so uh, and for their lifetime honor award, Jazz Masters Award, they were they got three thousand dollars from the government. So we um, decided to um, make that thirty thousand um, dollars, 
and uh, started uh, basically a whole program in, in which we bring jazz masters to neglected areas of the country where uh, children have never experienced live jazz, um, thereby giving and, and partnering with um, uh, companies uh, that would support this effort. Um, and um, and this, this not only um, uh, introduced jazz to populations that never had the privilege of hearing live jazz, but, but also we were able to pay the, the jazz masters uh, to, to do what they do uh, so well. And, and it's such a, such a unique and uh, important form of American arts. And, you know, I, we would have this, um, when Dana came into the office and when I got on uh, this position, I, I, we, we, were, we were told that the National Endowment is a, you know, an entity that, that needs to be uh, removed from the government. Um, Donald Trump has been continuing that effort uh, to remove this, but you know, fortunately, he hasn't been successful uh, because it, there's there's no uh, practical purpose why a government should be involved in the arts, and um, it's all transactional. You know, it's Darwinian, so you have to survive uh, in order to justify your existence. And of course, we beg to defer, but um, that is the attitude of this, what I call utilitarian pragmatism of so many of the leaders have caught up in, you know, the, some, some of the most um, essential elements of humanity is no longer considered to be viable uh, in political language. And of course, Dana, by quoting Longfellow, was, was uh, objecting against that reality. But nevertheless, when it comes to practical decision making, you have conservative senators uh, deadly set on their effort to eliminate the agency. And so uh, Dana was told literally that um, he is um, the sacrificial lamb to the altar of culture wars that he was appointed by a conservative president in order to eliminate the agency. And, uh, and of course he, um, you know, didn't go along with that, uh, transgressed in a way since, uh, since, since he is a politically more on the conservative side against his own colleagues. And um, one quick example of how he managed to turn culture wars into culture care sure. is, is by, um, doing research on these conservative senators who were dead set to eliminate the agency and finding out that many of them um, in high school were involved in Shakespeare or jazz. <laughs> so, uh, this very conservative senator from Colorado um, uh, dead set on eliminating the agency, one of the uh, most um, uh, you would think is difficult uh, person to convince um, we found out, um, uh, played Banco in Macbeth in high school. Mm -hmm. And uh, a good friend, uh, Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, who is a senator from Rhode Island, a liberal senator, played Macbeth in high school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. so we, we, we asked them to do a reading. <laughs> not, oh, wow. not, not announcing that, you know, uh, who, who the, the other partner would be on, on the oh. Capitol. Uh, which is really symbolic today uh, of yeah. Shakespeare and Macbeth, uh, where a um, political opponents would be cast as readers of Macbeth and Banco. Mm. Um, and um, they're good friends now. Um, mm. 
And this is how Dana managed to turn cultural wars into cultural mm -hmm. care by one by one identifying people, uh, their, uh, their constituencies certainly, mm -hmm. uh, but, but really uh, uh, wisely stewarding um, what we had. And uh, agency turned around, uh, it's, uh, the, even with Trumpian um, efforts, um, it, it's still, the budget is around $150 million, which is a significant amount uh, for doing micro works really uh, of advocacy, but, but, but it is significant. And um, I'm glad that many of the programs that we instituted still exist in the government. They, they could not have removed it because it was so effective. And mm. uh, it was so effective to bring people together to speak about uh, deeper issues in lives of uh, communities that um, were neglect. Um, and, and the arts uh, can certainly bring, certainly um, in, in the, when you look at jazz and um, in particular, uh, you see uh, racial reconciliation happening on stage. Right. Right. So, so this is a significant, um, you know, continues to be a significant effort. Um, the, the border stalker image came out of my conversation with my dear friend, Bruce Herman, who teaches, used to teach um, at uh, Golden College in Massachusetts. Uh, we did a collaboration on T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets um, a while back, uh, been good friends um, uh, for a long time. And he, he had mentioned this word mastapa, which is a Middle English word uh, that Tolkien used to describe Beowulf. Um, mm -hmm. And he said, "May I stop? Our border stalkers, um, and we are just like that. You know, we are border stalking um, mm -hmm. as artists and as um, even as advocates. You know, we 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 have to step out of the uh, divisive uh, political arenas a bit um, in order to inject something that is uh, more integrated uh, into the conversation. It starts with our language." to speak about what the issues are. Um, so rather than- Naming the issues. Yeah, naming the issues, yes. Um, and then identifying what the real issues are. You know, you have to kind of think behind the, the premise of these ideologies and, and then name, begin to name. That's what a poet does well, is to name um, what, what, what the issues are. Uh, what you know? What is the thought behind the thought? Um, and mm -hmm. identifying common grounds. Um, oftentimes, when you think through um, on because there are false dichotomies set up, right? Uh, so philosophically, you are creating scapegoats. So mm -hmm. you 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 know you're projecting something that is not real uh, while abandoning your own premise, your own values. Uh, in, in the process of doing that. Uh, so there's always, you can always push it back into uh, the thought behind the thought or behind that thought and, mm. and identify what are the values that you started out with and, and how can we find commonality? You know, a uh, mm. love for Shakespeare, right? I mean, what, what mm -hmm. is that? Um, mm -hmm. when, when you're trying to eliminate the agency, but you know, you, you play Bancor in college, you know, in high school, <laughs> 
and that still means a lot to you because you you agreed to be part of a you know reading at the Capitol of to commemorate Shakespeare in American mm. communities, that mm. that must have meant something. You know, you played uh, trumpet in, in in high school band, um, mm. playing jazz and admiring Duke Ellington. Um, mm. We'll bring you Heath Brothers to um, you know join you as as we celebrate the jazz masters, even mm. though you're set that said against <laughs> the agency, right. you know, let's have this experience. You know, you can vote, mm -hmm. um, of course, however you must, um, but let's have this experience first. And that mm -hmm. often will diffuse uh, the ideological, um, uh, you know, battles, battle uh, zones that we set up. And um, um, we, I, I, I actually found it remarkable. I don't think there ever was a time when I, um, I saw people not change uh, when we do yeah. that. When we do that well, um, yeah. you, you have to do your homework. Uh, you have yeah. to do your due diligence. You have to work relationally rather than uh, playing a power game, uh, which is typically how politics done. Um, you know, and and you, you truly try to find a common ground. Mm -hmm. um, artists are good at looking at the tribal differences. Um, mm -hmm. Artists tend to be ones that can look back into their own tribes and, and have a healthy critique, sometimes a very transgressive critique, but um, nevertheless, it's, it's a gift that they have to uh, see beyond uh, mm -hmm. the tribal norms. And they further, they are able to uh, traverse into other tribes uh, very easily and learn uh, their language, their culture, and bring it back to their own tribes. Mm -hmm. um, and so therefore, artists are well equipped for this work of peacemaking. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the only problem is, you know, when you're um, in, in typical fashion, when we look at artists, they, they tend to be narcissistic and egotistical <laughs> and uh, concerned only about themselves and self-expression. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because our education system has promoted that. Um, I don't find, um, you know, artists of high caliber, be people who have um, become masters. Um, um, they they may struggle certainly with their egos, but why why they are successful uh, is because they are able to transcend their self-expression into a realm of universal uh, language or universal. Uh, commu uh, communing that, that, that can happen through any medium. Uh, you have to have discipline to get to that point. You have to have um, uh, this um, way of understanding your art that moves way beyond, um, you know, mere self-expression self again. Right. So, so it, it creates a language that peacemakers can use to uh, such as jazz. Jazz, jazz is a great example of uh, improvised uh, music that leads directly to, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, peacemaking. Uh, U.S. can, you know, you, you cannot send anything to China or Russia, but you can send your best jazz mm -hmm. musicians, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they will be one. Borders. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and uh, they, you know, like if if you ask a typical American, you know. Um, who are the top five jazz musicians in America, they cannot name that. But if you ask a Russian, they probably can mm. name that. Uh, 
<laughs> so, so there's there's something about uh, U.S. arts that uh, uh, you know provides freedom and um, and and in in a sense um, really ability to promote democracy um, in 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 an incarnated way that the world recognizes. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so this, this is what I would try to do is to tap into that. My own work um, is literally border stocking um, between certainly Japan and US and now other places as well. Um, and uh, the work that you see behind me is called Walking on Water, energy mm. uh, piece that I began after 311 tsunami disaster in uh, Tohoku, Japan. And then um, I began to paint these very monumental paintings, literally walking on top of my paintings and uh, mm. walking on water. But, but simply it began as an energy asking the question, can we walk on water after the tsunami? And mm. the, looking at the devastation in Ishinomaki and other regions, uh, I came back with this um, sense that uh, you know, I have to start a new series of paintings um, as I did after 9-11, as I did after Columbine. Uh, somehow I get um, into thinking about, you know, processing these things as, as a form of prayer, really. And then, um, then mm-hmm. Susie Barra, uh, my dear friend who is a jazz percussionist, composer, visionary, um, um, came along and we started to collaborate um, and she had just come back from the Himalayan hills uh, with her underwater microphone recording the uh, glaciers melting Mm. and then turned those sounds, water sounds into uh, her composition. And um, so I asked her to do a series on walking water using uh, those recordings. And uh, we, we have a podcast called Culture Care Creative Podcast mm-hmm. that uh, we featured her um, you know, a month ago. And she talks about how uh, this music uh, intrinsic to uh, what is happening, you know, but, but at the same time, this cries of the earth mm-hmm. can, um, can capture the cries of our hearts, that there's a relationship between what's happening, the distressed nature and our distressed culture. Um, Mm. And and therefore artists are the ones that border stalkers, literally she's going (laughs) to Himalayan Hills um, to capture these sounds and brings it back um, uh, as as she would be able to speak Mm. to her tribe this way and and, uh, compose something meaningful. And then I painted these paintings you see behind me outside uh, here in the summer um, here in Princeton, Mm. New Jersey and um, in response to what she did uh, in her music. So, so mm. it's, it's a bit of jazz, you know, going mm. from one sound to another, um, even though mine is visual uh, jazz, <laughs> um, mm. but um, I, I see things when I hear her sound. And, and so I'm responding um, mm. literally to her music uh, and collaborating that way. So um, artists have a way of creating an ecosystem of their own mm. um, by doing that. 
um, especially if you can let go of just mere self-expression. Um, if you can begin to uh, create community, uh, create uh, conversation, um, and, and that, that broadens the, uh, uh, certainly the um, uh, language of both visual arts and music, um, but at the same time, it, it creates a connection to the, the, to, the, to the reality and the environment, right. no issues to communal issues, to polarization that we're feeding the cries of our hearts. And, right. and the pandemic that has uh, taken away so many lives and the suffering that is going on um, university. And we are you know, intuiting all that and, and then responding right. to that as well. So, right. so those, are, those are some of the um, experiences that I have. Yeah. Uh, my new book, Art and Faith, uh, has, uh, it's called The Theology of Making. Um, and and this, this book is uh, basically a way to process culture care and uh, border stocking uh, theologically. How, how right. do you understand okay. the creator God who, uh, you know, Jesus, who is a border stocker? Like mm -hmm. how could God be exiled that way? Uh, from mm. our world that he created. Mm. Uh, but in a, in a sense, it makes sense because God's aseity, God's all sufficiency is, is, is exactly in creation, he in a way exiled himself mm -hmm. because the, the, you know, the light created boundaries around darkness. Um, and, and therefore this, this, this is a, you know, God is, doesn't need the world. And, mm. and yet because God is love, God created the world to be in existence. So I speak about some theological principles, um, but hopefully translating that to people who may or may not understand th theology. So well, I have to say that my copy arrived yesterday, so I've only read the first chapter. But I, after every paragraph, I felt like I had to either go for a walk or call a friend <laughs> or pray about it um, because yeah. it's so rich. But I think what you're doing, Mako, in your work is your you as an artist who is, is learning and, and models this so well for us to put aside your own self-interests um, in, in favor of something that's transcendent that flows through you, the art, in order to be a border walker. And, and what you're saying is that in a sense, by doing that, we're following Jesus, which is a very different way perhaps yeah. of following Jesus than a lot yeah. of the culture has and, taught us. Yeah, and we need to go in twos, right? Don't, don't be isolated mm. in that journey mm. because it is dangerous. There, there are wolves mm. out there and there, mm. you know, the, the, um, the, the borderlands are not kind to travelers mm. so um, well, i want to talk about that because you, you mentioned these contentious issues that are that are making those borders even harder to cross um and yeah. what i really yeah. want to learn from you is, is how to translate what you've learned as an artist those of us who aren't necessarily artists and so maybe yeah. with that in mind with that kind of focus so how how exactly do we do this practically in an era where the borders are life and death whether that's politics or pandemic yeah. or race yeah. um so I, and i want to hear speaking of community i, I want to hear from yeah. those who've gathered here yeah. so maybe with that in mind those practical realities in mind lance would you like to open this up to the floor now to ask questions of mako that yeah. relate to those practical ways to be a border walker uh, sure if there uh, are, are there any at this point that wanted to to jump in uh, michael's given us uh, such uh, such rich thought right now um, anybody want to jump in i can assure you daniel and i have a 
ton of questions. So yes, <laughs> uh, so don't feel like we're on a on an awkward moment here. But um, any anybody want to uh, jump in at this point? Okay, now that's good. And please indicate uh, at any time in the mm -hmm. chat or just uh, the raise your hand uh, um, uh, icon at the bottom if you want to jump in. Um, uh, Michael, I, I want to bring us back to uh, the events of this week that you began referencing, yeah. um, because I think it's on all of our all of our minds. We can't think of a, a, a of of a, of a more self evident you know moment of these culture wars that we're talking about. I think that's the culmination. I think of not just the past four years, but I think um, the last uh, era of North American yeah. politics, and I, I, I dare include Canada in this this moment as well, because. We we have um, we have uh, followed very much uh, in many significant ways the land the political and cultural landscape uh, yeah. of uh, of America uh, obvious distinctions but I want to go back to your book Culture Care I, I appreciated how you wove uh, characters both real and fictional uh, yeah. throughout your writing um, who illustrated through their own story the influence border walkers can have in shaping outcomes. And, mm -hmm. and you just gave us a couple of really good examples. Uh, Dana Joy as one, as one example. Um, this week I found myself reflecting on one of these characters you included mm -hmm. and how prophetic her voice, perhaps as we witnessed the events unfolding in the US Capitol this week. You recounted a moment in the book To Kill a Mockingbird mm -hmm. where, where the young daughter of Atticus Finch, a Southern lawyer who yeah. determined to defend in court a, a black man falsely accused of rape, finds herself next to her father in the mm. midst of a mob of angry yeah. men threatening to lynch this man. Yeah. And suddenly she notices a neighbor. Yeah. And instinctively, with, with childhood innocence, begins to ask him, oh, how's your health? How's your, how's your family? How's your children? Because, as you quoted in the book, Atticus has said, it's the polite thing. <laughs> to talk about what they're interested in, not what you're interested in. I want you to fast forward and bring us, bring Scout to that moment mm. from the yeah. story to the steps of Capitol Hill. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, you wow. know, in your yeah. book, you wrote this in, in reflection to her own story. You said, reconcilers of culture must speak like children, mm. which is to say, innocent of pretense, full yeah. of determined hope connected with the highest potential and calling of our common humanity and expectant of finding this good in the lives of others. Yes. So hmm. as yeah. she's standing there on Wednesday hmm. and she's watching the faces of those who force hmm. their ways through the barricades, yeah. stormed onto the Senate floor with guns and Confederate waves, flags waving, everyone is denouncing them as thugs, racists terrorists yeah. and yet you suggest <laughs> scout a border walker yes might see something different yeah in each of those persons that's beautiful well scout in 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 that moment um has a quite a bit of a legal argument why her neighbor should assent to uh, understand the whole rather than you know, to, to do what he's determined to do, um, which, which is cast judgment. Um, and I think that's very appropriate for us to remember today. You know, the media is always bent on uh, 
casting judgment on the issue without even interviewing a person. Um, and, and there are stories there in each person uh, who were there uh, and responded in such a violent way, uh, which they obviously should not have. Um, but at the same time, we have been taught that, right, in a, at least in the past four years that, um, you know, your sense of injustice has, has, has merit and that, uh, you know, the president of the United States is going to make it possible to empower you to, and it's, 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 it's such a, you know, in, in some ways a very shadow invitation, but, but it, it, it is, it's attractive, um, especially if you have been taught all your life that, you know, your, your life uh, in, in the South and in, in this, this, you know, understanding of culture um, is backward or whatever, um, and you have no say in, you know, certainly in, in what the future, future and, and people are scared, you know, people are fearful uh, in this time of pandemic. Um, people are told uh, they, you know, and they, they, they have to isolate themselves and wear a mask and all those things seem so un-American, right? When, when we, um, when the government, you know, let's say the fear of government imposing this, so I think Scout would probably um, certainly be aware of those issues instinctively. Um, and I'm trying to think how she would um, see, see the horror of two days ago. Um, uh, perhaps it, it would be different for each situation. Um, and even looking at it, like, how do you see it? Because if, yeah, if you're an artist yeah, who's trained yourself yeah, to do this for yeah, so long, and yeah. how should we be seeing it? Well, Especially yeah, balancing conviction. Yeah. How do you balance prophetic conviction over truth yeah. and, and lives that are at stake over consequences so that that prophetic voice you see in the prophets of the Old Testament with yeah. that care for yeah. other and that, that self-centered, yeah. selflessness. Yeah. yeah. Keep going. Yeah, and it's not—it's not the—it's not, uh, not the opposite, you know. The you, you those uh, prophets are, are the the ones who care about the future, um, mm. and so if they push back against injustice, it's it's not because they are, um, you know, they're they're, mm -hmm. they're thinking only about themselves or. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Which we so uh, often do sometimes. Yeah, we so often um, confront it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I have been really trying to see through and and understand both both, you know, understanding my some of my conservative friends who voted for Trump, um, and they have reasons that they did, and um, you know, it's certainly Joe Biden who I have known not personally, but I have known about for a long time. He's a good man. He, he, is, he really is a man of peace, um, which I, I am grateful for. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 is it politics as usual in US? I don't know. Um, hopefully not. Um, hopefully there will be a new way of understanding what is happening and how we process these things that are happening in the world differently. 
um, we, we, we really have to have a new way, new wineskin for un mm. understanding uh, this political issue in America and in, in the world. Um, but as an artist, you know, I, I think one of the critical ways that I, I see the events is, um, you know, what happens when words are taken mm -hmm. into uh, a mob scene. And, mm -hmm. you know, John, John Adams said, one well, the, the greatest threat to democracy is, is, is this mob mindset. Um, mm -hmm. Because it, 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 uh, it doesn't allow for, you know, even rational thoughts to mm. uh, decipher what is good and what is beautiful, what is true. Um, and I, I think that's exactly what happened. Now, I, I agree with uh, David Brooks. Uh, he wrote a op-ed today saying that the, you know, basically that the fever has broken. Uh, the American, you know, um, uh, this 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 feverish way that we have been talking about conservatives versus liberals, liberals versus conservatives, uh, creating a fear base, um, so that basically you can senators are raising money off of fear, right? Mm. Uh, presidents raising money of, of uh, this contentiousness and conspiracy theories. And, mm -hmm. and that's, what, that's what the power base is. Mm -hmm. and, but, but I think we saw the end game. Um, and it, so in that sense, the, the, the feverish ways that we have ramped up to this moment um, is no longer um, you know, hidden. It is, it is out mm -hmm. and open. So um, the, any kind of conversation moving forward will have accountability to that uh, in America. And, and just as, you know, Senator Mitt Romney, right? Uh, the conservative voice of the Senate uh, stated that, that, you know, people need to hear the truth. Uh, I mean, that, that, that just broke through like, mm -hmm. I, I think no other politician in recent times, speaking under enormous pressure, being able to say with courage that mm -hmm. truth matters mm -hmm. here. Um, and I think there's, there's kind of a way that we can look at everything, um, in, including politics, including media, including culture, um, that has shifted somewhat. Um, uh, um, two days ago. And, and so therefore it's an opportunity for us to understand moving forward, what do we do with our rhetoric and, and demonization of the other side? Um, and I, I think, you know, going back to Scout, she would, re she would remember her father's words that we, we must be fair to people. No matter how we disagree with them, uh, they're our neighbors, you know, we must be willing to step into their shoes. Um, and that, that idealism um, is, is what um, makes, I think, democracy work. Um, so so we, 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 we need to uh, go back to empathy and, and, you know, the arts are fundamentally one of the greatest ways to train empathy. 
because it is somatic and you, you have to work with your hands and you have to work within the context of communities. Um, you're assuming that communication happens uh, in this divide, in this impossible divide that we live in. And if you are involved in theater or music or anything like that, you, you're going to have to learn to listen to each other um, and, and, and you know, express in the context of communal language. Uh, that builds empathy. And, and so you know, arts education is fundamental to democracy because of that. And, and you can't remove, um, you know, it's not, it's not this extra nicety or fluff that um, you know, it's nice when you have uh, some budget. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's the essence of how we communicate. Marco, we have um, in the chat box two questions for mm -hmm. that people wanted to share with you. But I'm going to invite David. Uh, did you want to ask your question directly, David? Go ahead. Yes. Um, just a lot, a lot of uh, what uh, Makoto was saying there resonated with me. Um, there's, it's become a very unfriendly place in Ireland at the moment. It, it, I, I don't suppose anyone here would be focusing on anything that's going on in Ireland uh, when you've got America and Canada to worry about. Oh. But... Um, but Ireland has become has has gone through a massive transition from a very uh, known as kind of the the, the the Catholic hub of the world to becoming a very secularized and anti-Catholic in particular country um, to the to the extent that the national media um, would would mock would mock Catholicism directly on on television. Um, but the, another thing is, uh, I'm a, I'm a part of this group called Catholic Comment, uh, uh, globally known as Catholic Catholic Voices. It was founded by an author called Austin Ivory and Jack Valero. But, but they would uh, mirror very much what you say about shedding um, shedding light, not heat, um, and making friends with people. And that that mentality has has actually become very successfully globally. Um, so they train Catholic lay people to go and be able to speak to the media. And to be able to have converse, difficult conversations about issues in a way that doesn't alienate people, or or um, it, 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 they basically look for, let's say, you're arguing with somebody on television about um, some really polarizing issues, let's say gay marriage or abortion or um, something like that. Um, well, they would tend to look for the common. What's the common value here that we can make a bridge? And then mm -hmm. let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. And then you find it, it, it's like it's like what you're saying about the the recognition of the neighbor there and the, the lynch mob. Yeah. Uh, oh, how you know trying to trying to look at the humanity past the issue. Right. Um, but the hardest part for that is how do you uh, how do you break into these groups? Because um, funnily enough, uh, before I did the I before I did my masters. It's in an area in the media where, uh, so it was a course in the media where it is one of the most hostile um, areas to get into if you're religious in any way. Yeah. Um, so my my first thing was to go in and delete my entire Twitter feed and any kind of evidence online that mm. led to people finding out that I was religious in any way. <laughs> and and I said, right, I'm going to go in. I'm not going to have any conversations about anything to do with religion or anything until people until I make friends with people and then gradually it will it will kind of come out and at that point it, it'll be too late they'll have invested too much <laughs> in yeah. the relationship to be able to write me off yeah uh, 
so and and that and that actually ended up working very well <laughs> yeah um, so i could so i could get along with these people that were vehemently against things yeah. that i believed in but actually saw me as a friend and were able to see a different perspective yeah well and and what you're doing right as a documentary filmmaker or filmmaker in general um can have impact um, in in creating a language and creating a framework to how how to do that. Um, you, it can be a very persuasive way to uh, bring people into dialogue with the other or the enemy, or um, without even you know calling it that, right? So it's a very subversive way, you know. Shusak Endo in his book Silence which I wrote about um, in my previous book, Silence and Beauty, which is a book about Christian persecution and, and Catholic persecution in Japan um, and um, how difficult and entrenched and impossible it is to be a believer in, in, in that land. And yet I think Endo's point in writing was, was to not only raise awareness of the, this historic reality that Japanese have ignored uh, in modern times, um, especially after the war, there was this elimination of the past in a sense because of the Western influx. But, but at the same time, you know, uh, Endo, Endo was critiquing modernism and, and how we judge raster judgment. Uh, of people and we in a way torture uh, those who do not agree with us in the same intolerant attitude that, that, that these obvious um, you know, um, persecution um, um, and injustices that, you know, that these um, cultures have, have taken on. And, um, and so it's a, it's a brilliant treatise actually on uh, how we communicate in, as a hidden Christian, you know, um, and, and to, to be able to do that well, we have to really go to the depth of, of the um, uh, his, historic reality, which is pretty bleak. Um, so, you know, that, that's, I, I, so, so, so the answer, the part of the answer of creating a meaningful conversation is through, through making, uh, making your film and making it well. Um, you know, I'm fascinated by Andrew working here. I, I you know, I keep looking at his, <laughs> because, because I, I think that's, that's, that's really the way to understand how, we create something new into the world and it takes faith to do that. And it takes, you know, determined effort. And anytime you give birth to something that is integrated, something that has a value and enduring value, um, you, you are doing your work. Um, you don't have to uh, be able to um, necessarily convince anybody. Um, the work itself will, will have persuasiveness. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Michael. Lance, I think we there's a question. Have, uh, Go ahead. We have one more, yeah, uh, question. And I'll just read it off on, on behalf of SP. She just, uh, this person typed in, it just kind of gets back to the role of an artist. And I, I think this is actually a really interesting question. What is the role of the artist in confronting the algorithms of social yeah. media, yeah. which is promoting and creating this polarization through internet echo chambers, ecosystem? I, I think that's a, a just a really mm -hmm. brilliant question. You you kind of spoke to it a little bit just now. Maybe you could just uh, briefly yeah. elaborate on it before before we close. I think that's a really yeah. Can I add something? Go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, while we've all been talking, Donald Trump, it was announced, has been permanently banned from Twitter. So that sort of, uh, that your response is, is connected directly to this question. Yeah, the ultimate punishment. Um, the ultimate, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I just did a discussion at my church on uh, the documentary, film, uh, Social Dilemma, right, by Netflix. I don't know if you've seen that, but it, it identifies what's happening behind the scenes of Facebook and Twitter and all these people who are creating al algorithms. Um, my brother is a, uh, a deep learning expert in Silicon Valley. He's, he's, he's an expert in, in so many of what's happening behind the scenes. And, you know, he, he basically said to me uh, one time, you know, when we are discussing, we, we, we get filled with fear as, as we should, because it, there, there's manipulation going on and there's, there's, there's um, power in, in social media that uh, we don't, we don't understand putty. Uh, we get trapped in in that, um, and and certainly Trumpian uh, discourse is is full of that uh, manipulation and uh, and the way to you know use this megaphone called Twitter to um, create conspiracy theories and so so forth. Um, and that has worked um, partly because we don't realize the power of it, right? Now, but. Um, you know, my brother said to me once that was something that was very interesting. And uh, <laughs> he said, um, you know, because I was asking him about algorithm and the power of deep learning and machine learning first, you know, has, has developed to a point where uh, you cannot beat uh, a machine uh, playing a game of chess, right? Uh, or go or any other um, activities that leads to a conclusion. Uh, because algorithm is so fast now, you can't. Um, and so th does, does that mean that, you know, uh, this vision of Terminators, you know, like uh, machines taking over, is, is, that the, is that the future now? You know, I asked him and um, he said, well, uh, no, because the machine learning can only be horizontal. You know, it, it, it can, it, it can com create convergence. So something that is that is that is um, you know uh, activity that leads to one conclusion, the machine is going to be so much better than you are, you know, today, right? Because it's data uh, accounting. Now, deep learning can can create a twist to this in, in ways that are a bit mysterious. So so you know, let's let's just say machine learning for now. That 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 parallel processing that happens, and um, he said even with deep learning. You know, he, he said to me, an artist, he said, you have nothing to worry about <laughs> because what you're doing is so complex and, and, uh, and somatic that, that even the best machines, you know, 3D machines and so forth will not be able to mimic the, you know, prismatic refractive reality that you're producing uh, and you're speaking in a way, making something that machines cannot capture intentionally. So, so you, you're going to be fine for a while. And he, he said, and, and, and furthermore, you know, you have faith. And he's not a Christian. He said, you, your faith is absolutely enigmatic to a machine. <laughs> there, there's no way a machine can figure that out. <laughs> and, and he said, so, so combined with those art and faith, right? <laughs> combine those right. two, you're, gonna, you're not going to have to worry about that for a while. <laughs>
<laughs> well, and it's as you're talking, we're on a machine and we're watching Andrew, and I'm sure we could watch yeah. Everett. Um, we could watch them make. We're, we've mentioned those people several times already because Absolutely. there is it's exactly that. Um, yeah. This has been so rich. I'm going to talk about Mako's books before we close, so you can continue the conversation with him, as I urge you all to do. But yeah. Mako, I wanted to end um, with a quote from Culture Care that just seems so relevant to the moment we're in right now. Um, you say in Culture Care, if we assume the that winter is necessary for the spring, that death is essential for life to emerge, then our bleak and painful period is perhaps a necessary step toward the cultivation of a renewed culture. Mm -hmm. And very briefly, could you just, because we're in a, you wrote that in 2014 or, or published it first in 2014, yeah. um, but we, everyone who says anything about 2020 and now 2021 would agree that we are in a winter. Yes. So do you still have that hope for yeah. renewal? Oh, and and tell us briefly about that. Yeah, so one of the greatest gifts of 2020 and now 21 is, is there's not a single person on this earth who have not been touched by mm. this, this pandemic. Every single person has shared in some way in the suffering of our time. And, and I say that, you know, with, with, with great um, fear and, and also wonderment. Um, mm -hmm. When I experienced 9-11 uh, firsthand, I was three blocks away and my children became ground zero children. And I still feel the effect of trauma uh, 20 years later. Uh, they're like, hey, I'm fractures um, that you don't even know are there. And when stress comes, you see the, the effects. Um, and all, all of my children um, have at least two friends who in the ensuing 10 years committed suicide. Wow. They survived 9-11, but they did not survive the despair after. We are all going to be survivors after 2020, you know, this time. When the pandemic's over, we're gonna have the same kind of psychological journey that victims of 9-11, victims of Columbine, victims of Newtown will have. Um, and, and we have to understand that that can paralyze us, but at the same time, we, we can also say that we have that in common. We, we share that uh, journey. And, and so what I can say as a survivor of 9-11 uh, to the world uh, that is increasing going to be all, we, all of us will be survivors in some level um, is, is that first of all, the, the, you know, the two things that my children came away with, grew up with, and, and it, you know, it was party, obviously having me as a father, but no, probably more than that because all their friends have it. Is, is their commitment to community, commit, commitment to, to create something new into the world. Those two things have kept them alive. In fact, my second son is a rapper and a composer and producer in Brooklyn. Um, and uh, his nine friends that were uh, close friends on the day of 9-11, they basically stayed together through middle school, high school. They went to different colleges, they're, they're still good friends and they have exhibits and concerts every summer uh this summer they couldn't do it but you know every year um and um and clayton will say um that you know out of nine friends eight of them 
became artists and musicians. One became a chemist, but he's now a chef. Okay, so what does that tell you about these kids? Okay, they became resilient, communal. They, they, their bonding as friends became more important. They, they would sacrifice other things to get back together. And they all wanted to create something new. And that I think that's really the response, the proper response to, to our dark times. And you know, I use that metaphor of a tutor being buried in, in November. And you have to do that in November for in order for tulip to come up in the spring. If you don't have the winter, tulip does not root. You know, so so it's really important uh, that uh, tulip experiences the hard, dark winter when you, you don't see anything happening. Mm-hmm. And and for for us in 2021, it's in a sense important to bury ourselves, <laughs> to mm-hmm. to understand that this is going to take time. Um, but but you know we do it with hope that uh, uh, the flower is going to come up. The the bulb itself is gaining energy on the snow you know, in darkness and rooting itself deeply so, so that when, when the right conditions come, we will be able to blossom again. Hmm. Echo, That's beautiful. Uh, it is. And, you know, as, as we, we close, um, I, I, Sarah, my, my colleague, a, a teacher, just reminded me in the racial equity work uh, we do with teachers in schools, we, we have four important agreements that guide our conversations. One is stay engaged. Second is speak your truth. Third is experience discomfort. And fourth is accept non-closure. And I have to say it's that last agreement that both frustrates me and gives me hope, <laughs> right? Um, because even as we close this conversation, Mako, you have brought such great insight to the conversation. And yet it leaves me feeling like there is still so much more we need to talk about Um, but but that is the hope isn't it that there is another Mm -hmm. conversation out there waiting to happen another Mm -hmm. person to encounter another bridge to cross yes um daniel and i have uh reached out to a list of people who we're excited to continue this conversation with who we uh believe are going to bring the same kind of insight that you have for us um and and for those who have joined us today uh i i just want to really encourage you to come back again and and join us as we as we uh, just continue to talk and listen and think about how we ourselves live as border walkers in, in whatever space we occupy. Um, to do that, uh, here's here's a little uh, podcast thing. Uh, go go to your preferred podcast platform, click on the notification, and uh, it'll tell you uh, when we have uh, our next guest lined up. But yeah, uh, but we do in all seriousness look forward to that. Uh, thank you I, again for joining us. Dan, you wanted to say? A, yeah, a I just, I, you know, thank you so much, Mako, for giving us this attitude of border walking um, and embodying that in your own art and reaching out. And as we're in this season of loneliness, of, of being those tulip bulbs under, in our case, the long, hard Canadian winter, which yes. goes on a little bit longer um, <laughs> than your winter in Princeton. Um, but I, I do want to just highlight the books of that of your books that were mentioned. Um, so there's the four holy gospels, which are the gospels illustrated with your artwork. Um, but then there's the actual book Culture Care, which kind of lays out really practical ways to embody that mindset of border walking. 
um, and caring for culture instead of focusing on culture war. You mentioned silence and beauty, which is about trauma, really, and how do, does a culture respond to trauma, and how do how do we reflect that? And of course, there's a meditation on Endo's book, Silence, but also your involvement with Scorsese's film, Silence. But I really urge everybody to go out and order Art and Faith, which just came out this week. Um, it had a, a forward by N.T. Wright, an endorsement by Scorsese and Rowan Williams. But like I said, I read the first chapter when it arrived yesterday. And this is a book that, um, as you said, it gives the theology, the Christian theology of, of border walking, um, but it does it in a way that I think during this winter, this season of winter, will give us resources and, and a mindset and a spirit um, of border walking. As you said, we're following Christ who did this himself. And I think this book makes that so soul nourishingly clear. Um, Mako, thank you. How can people continue the conversation with you? How can we well, follow I'm, you? I'm, thanks to my daughter. I mean, every social media known to <laughs> you know, humanity. So it's easy to follow me. It's easy. Uh, please uh, send me your questions. Uh, if, you, you know, if you think of something you wanted to ask, um, I, I love to do that. And uh, I, I'll certainly be one of, one of the things about social media is we can, um, I, I am going to uh, take a Lenten Sabbath from social media. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, apart from that, I'll, I will be certainly be, um, but you can email me. So, you know, um, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thanks again, everyone, for joining us. And wherever yes. your journey takes you, may you be blessed with courage to speak the truth, wonder to create beauty, and the heart to seek the good in others. Keep well.